I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Welcome to a hopefully not premature edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined by Mike Sielski of the Philadelphia Inquirer. And as we sit here, Mike. We are sitting. Twitter's percolating. Bubbling. We Humming. Are, we are marinating in the Twitterness of this. Not even, it is not, as, as we sit here at 1.56 p.m. on Thursday afternoon and attempt to record a podcast that will stand throughout the weekend uh i just hope it it stands for seven minutes after we finish it i'm reminded it it will stand longer than zach Ertz after he catches a ball (laughs) just kidding um i'm reminded that the free agency the free agent signing period has not even actually begun yet this is this to me is might be the most amazing thing about how the nfl has come to market itself which is to say that it has turned the phrase illegal tampering, the actual breaking of the rules <laughs> into one of its most uh, intriguing periods of the year, uh, that it's gotten people this interested in the run-up to free agency. I mean, they even call it illegal tampering, and they still market the the crap out of it. It's just, it's brilliant. It's really brilliant. Yeah. So, Tory Smith. Yeah. Your e- thoughts? Eagles, mo- mo- the the newest eagle. Um, okay, I guess. I mean, y- you look at his numbers, and they've declined. The number of catches he's had has declined every year for four straight years. Um, certainly, one could argue there are mitigating circumstances to that. Uh, playing in San Francisco for a couple years and uh, being with a bad team with not so great quarterbacks, and even being with a um, you know, I would say an above average quarterback in Baltimore, Joe Flacco, but Probably not somebody who's, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly not an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or anyone like that. So, um, okay, I would say, okay, you know, the, the jury's still out on what they're going to do um, to create more cap space uh, other than, you know, their decision to release uh, St. Francis of Assisi. I'm sorry, Con- Connor Barwin. Um, well, I mean, the good news is uh, apparently Connor Barwin will return after three days given the portrayal. <laughs> I, I, I'm just disappointed he never got to finish the playground that he and Nelson Aguilar were building in the parking lot of cheerleaders last year. That, you know, that, that was the, hey, the project I wanted to see completed. I will, not, I, will not, I will not hold an establishment against a man. Okay. I'm sure Connor Bar- All right, well, let's talk about this because, first of all, Tory Smith. Yeah. Uh, this is from Mark Eckel of NJ.com. You know Mark Eckowell. I know Mark Eckowell has covered the Eagles for a long time. He talked to an NFL scout. Um, and I think this, more than anything, is why it was smart for the Eagles to mm-hmm. take a chance on Kenny. Uh, Tory Smith. Tory Smith rather than one of the Kennys. <laughs> um, oh, my God. They signed Kenny. <sighs> you bastards. An NFL scout says, first of all, he's a great kid and he can run. If that's what you want, they got to clear things out. Go deep. He can do that. Okay. And that's really what the Eagles want. And, yeah. and frankly, that's all they're getting. That's all the Dolphins are getting out of Kenny Britt. And I wrote this on Philly.com in the wake of the signing, thereby postponing this podcast for an hour. Kenny Britt or Kenny Stills? 
I'm, what did I say? There's too many Kennys. Yeah, Kenny Stills is with the Dolphins. Kenny, yeah, Kenny Stills. Going to the well, I think they were smarter to do both, but but Kenny okay. Stills especially. Um, the reports are that he, you know, contract is roughly double what the Eagles will be giving Torrey Smith, and they're pretty much the same exact same player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Add a, add three years, you know, to Torrey Smith, but Kenny Stills has never been a guy who does anything other than, um, you know, clear out. Safeties right. and, and catch the occasional deep ball. And Torrey Smith, as you pointed out. And drop the occasional yeah, deep ball. Yeah, and you wrote this on a piece that's on the website now. You know, Torrey Smith has actually put up really good numbers in his career, uh, and Kenny Stills has not done that. Right. Um, so, you know, depending on what you're going to pay for either guy, why not take the guy who's a little more established for a little less money? And and that's fine. For, it's a lot less money. Yeah. I so, um, you know, I mean, I wrote I – wrote, Yesterday on Wednesday, I, I talk, read that it was good. Yeah, I talked to somebody, uh, former Cleveland Browns wide receivers coach, about Terrell Pryor. Um, just the idea of the Eagles should take a look at this. I, you know, I know you you feel like cornerback ought to be their their primary. No, but I'm a big Pryor guy too. Yeah, primary quarry. But Pryor to me is the kind of guy who, if you're going to spend big money on anybody, particularly obviously a wide receiver, that's the kind of guy. You know, he has size, he has speed. He is an ascending player in that he's just started to play the position. The problem is he's he's old. Yeah, he's twenty seven. Um, he's twenty seven. He's gonna be twenty eight this year. Yeah. Um, and I just think that given the Eagles' situation, look, I would give Terrell Pryor money way before I'd give Alshon Jeffrey yes. or any of the other wide receivers yeah. that are out there. Um, you know, I think even in at the beginning of the season against the Eagles, when you watched him play mm-hmm. in Week One, was that Week One? Yep. Week one, it, it was remarkable. Like, I mean, you, you could, he was the best player on the field yeah. on either offense. And, and think about the season. I mean, he catches 77 passes for more than 1,000 yards. You want to talk about Torrey Smith uh, playing with lousy quarterbacks in San Francisco. I mean, the Browns played five different quarterbacks last year, from Robert Griffin III to Charlie Whitehurst, you know, to I think Otto, the ghost of Otto Graham came back and threw a couple passes for them too. So, um yeah, I mean, I, I like I like Pryor. I, you know, is he going to stay in Cleveland? I don't know. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But um, it was at least something worth looking at. Yeah, and I, well, I think the good the 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 good the viable relevant perspective that it brought was like my question was always, well, how is Terrell Pryor? How big of a risk is he right. in terms of once he gets his money? I mean, like that's the big thing with Kenny Britt. Yeah, like do you really trust a guy who has spent the last six years like being his own worst enemy? And right. finally got his s together. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's that's what you got to look at with any of these guys. That's the and thing. Pri- you know, prior, he's had a bit of a circuitous route. You know, I don't know that he's ever had. Um, I mean, you mentioned the comments from his teammates, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Hartline, and I mean, he's always kind of had that diva. Yeah. Person going back to Ohio State. Yeah. But I don't know that he's ever actually gotten into serious off the off the field. No. Trouble no. other than getting a tattoo. Gratis yeah, when yeah, he NCAA have. stuff, right? <laughs> um, no, but there were some questions within that locker room. But it is a viable him. question, like for a guy who's only had one season, right? And you know, whatever. Right. Um, so anyway, so I think that, um, and I guess we shouldn't rule that out until he signs yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we've got you know, as we record this, we've got a little less than two hours yet until the uh, until but, the period actually begins. But let's talk through. Um, so Connor Barwin gone. Yeah, that frees up seven point five million dollars for the Eagles, and according to my calculations, that puts them at about, um, I have it's a, they're at fourteen right around now. But then you got to take seven million away from that for draft picks, right? So the Tory Smith thing, which I, I would assume 
it probably comes in at less than $5 million in average annual value. I would think. Um, Cause that last year is usually pretty meaningless. Mm-hmm. You know, they only have at this point, $2 million, you know, breathing room. Yeah. That being said, there's still a lot of things they could do to scrape together a couple million here, a couple million there. Um, well, I mean, we all know the names, you know, Michael Kendricks, you know, Jason Kelsey. But see, all right, so let's talk about the Kelsey thing because it, it still yeah. it has not made sense to me, um, the speculation. Okay. Because in, unless it's trying to get him to take a pay cut. Mm-hmm. But everyone seems to forget that that fell along the offensive line was – the number one problem on offense last year. Forget about the wide receivers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you talk to the coaching staff and the executives, you know, Doug Peterson will tell you that Lane Johnson's suspension, you know, railroaded the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard not to think that when yeah. you look at, you know, a loss like the one they suffered against the Redskins, which was pretty much solely on the shoulders of uh, Mr. Vitae right. in his first start. And I didn't think Big V got appreciably better throughout the season. I just think that they threw the ball faster and let yeah. – and let's not forget Carson Wentz, you know, went off the field against Cincinnati, didn't he? Yes, he did. So, so I'm, it, yeah, it, I mean, it, I, I don't think the Eagles should be are in a position where they can afford to subtract depth from their offensive line. Even if they are trying to get Isaac Samalu into the starting lineup, what what sense does it make to take Jason Kelsey out of that lineup and, you know, well, now it doesn't. Like, I, I mean, my my thought was, depending on what they did and how they were able to configure, you know, getting play, removing players in the cap, if they, if they went through and just cut a bunch of guys, um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a different center in there okay. if they could make that happen. Um, you know, because I think... But that wouldn't free up money. Right, right. Um, no, it wouldn't. It, not necessarily Because you'd be would. cutting him with the anticipation that you could spend that money on his replacement. Presumably, yeah. Um, and and the other piece of news that is interesting, uh, because it flies in the face of what I've been counting on all off season, is that Alan Barber will return. Yes. Who and Alan Barber, who three days ago was reportedly permitted to um, seek a trade, to seek a trade, which usually. So it's I, I think the Eagles probably did not enter this free agent signing period with a definitive plan like they have in the past yeah. I mean I think they targeted Rodney McLeod last year I think yeah. they targeted you know, Brandon, Brandon Brooks. Brooks last year who I will never not call Barrett Brooks <laughs> this year I think you know given given the smoke we saw uh, particularly the Barber thing I think they had a lot of things in the air and they've had a lot of things in the air that you know might still be in the air yeah and I wonder you know it seems so far um, to kind of jive I, th- I think with what Howie Roseman said at the Combine which is that this is, you know, he was kind of selling the idea that this was going to be a longer rebuild, quote unquote, you know, as such things go in the NFL. So the idea that, uh, you know, you would go in and attack free agency, you know, in a, in a robust way right away, that's not the kind of thing you do if you're, if you're it seems to me, if you're building over the long haul. It, it, you know, you, you would instead take a step back and see, okay, what can we get when we can get it? You know, if we're able to trade Connor Barwin or Michael Kendricks, let's do that. If we can't, then we resign ourselves to cutting them. Um, but we're not in a rush to go out and get any one particular player at any one particular position because we feel like that player or that position, if we improve it, will put us over the top to winning the division or 
getting to a conference final or a Super Bowl. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, let me ask you this, because this this continues to be on my mind. Because um, it definitely was not Chip's fault, because it happened after Chip arrived. And everything is Chip's fault. You have to remember that, Murph. Everything. I mean, we cannot retroactively assign Vinnie Curry's contract extension and Chase Daniels' <laughs> contract. And um, I guess Michael Kendricks, we could still maybe, even since that happened the year before. Right. But Chip Kelly certainly did not seem to be a big Michael Kendricks fan. No. Um I mean, say what you will about not relying on free agency to build a team. I would think you would still want to try to build as competitive a team as you can. And at this point in time, if you took Chase Daniels' salary away, which it sounds like the Eagles would love to do, yeah, um, that's seven million dollars. If you took, or that's eight million dollars actually. Seven million is is the cap, I think, number. Um, and Vinny Curry is going to be one of the highest paid defensive ends yes. in the league next year. That's sixteen and a half million dollars right there just for next year. You're telling me, I mean, those two players alone, you could have signed A.J. Boye, yes. the, the cornerback who is now, or Stephon Gilmore, who, you know, I don't know. It's NFL valuation is very tough, but I just kind of assume that if the Patriots do something, it's probably a reflection, good reflection on a player. Um, and they just signed Stephon Gilmore. Yes. You know, so I would say you would rather have Stephon Gilmore. Um, probably than probably AJ than Vinny. Vinny no, no, no. I would rather have A.J. Boye. Then but I'm just saying go, that okay, in terms saying. of the wisdom of spending right. money on a quarterback position, right. I mean, the Patriots have done it now with a kid to leave, Therrell Rivas and uh, Stephon Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You, you know, I think that speaks to the wisdom of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this gets... Spending on cornerback. I mean. the, you know... So what were they thinking last year? I don't year know. My question. That, this, I mean, we were writing last year that they were kind of groping around in the, in the dark. I've kind of always felt this way, that... That yeah, you got your quarterback, but now what? And you got the guy you think is your quarterback, but, but now I'm what? saying why extend all these guys? Right, like they like, think- but, but that's just it. Is like why did you sign Chase Daniel? I mean, we were everybody, people were saying that at the time. Like, why are you giving Chase Daniel that level of money? He's not a coach. He counts against the salary cap. No matter how much counseling you think he might do of Carson Wentz, you still have to pay him. You know whatever it was, seven million dollars, nine million dollars a year. Um, you know, the Vinnie Curry thing, that, that's a bet on Curry becoming something that he really had not been throughout his career and, and that multiple defensive coordinators who had worked with him had been unable to extract from him. And now you're in a position where you can't go out and address some other positions uh, that are of great need because of these guys and what you're paying them. And the positions themselves in some way are still positions of need. Like the Eagles still need a pass rusher. You know, I mean, they really do. I mean, Brandon Graham is nice. Brandon Graham is not Von Miller. You know, Vinnie Curry isn't even nice. Vinnie Curry isn't even Brandon Graham. No. So I will say this. I think Brandon Graham is a very, very good player. I think he's one of the better. But in terms of, like you said, a pure edge threat, they need somebody. They need they need a pure pass rusher opposite him. Yes. To to get the the most. Yeah, I don't mean to slight Brandon Graham. I think Brandon Graham's a very good player. But Brandon Graham isn't an elite guy who. He needs you need another you need defensive somebody else. end is what yeah, it comes down. Yeah, you basically need another defensive end. Now maybe they have, you know, maybe they're going to hit every single draft pick that they make this year. But, but they, that's the thing is they can't when you So this is the big question is still does Howie Roseman know how to build an NFL football roster? Right. Because right now I mean everyone seems I mean the fan base wants Mike Williams, you yes. know, the or one of or Corey Davis or and I understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, chances are that's not going to happen. Um because chances are Mike Williams isn't going to be there. Right. Um, but 
then they'll say, oh, well, you can get a cornerback in the draft, you know, with regards to Brandon Cooks. Oh, you can get a defensive end in the draft. Oh, you can rebuild your offensive line mm-hmm. in the draft. Well, how many draft picks? These guys only have, right? you know? Yeah, they only have so, A, they only have so many picks, and B, they've shown in the past they're only going to hit on so many picks. Right. Uh, you know, um, and that's that's the thing. It's funny, I, w- I heard Mike Lombardi talking about this. Uh, Which know. is why it would make sense to sign somebody in free agency who can stabilize it. Like they did with Ronnie McLeod last year. Yeah. It made a ton of sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've got a guy. He he's, might not be Ed Reed at his prime or Brian Dawkins, but in, in Malcolm Jenkins now and uh, Rodney McLeod, they they don't have to worry about a position for the next four years. Right. Um, Where a cornerback, they have cornerback, wide receiver, defensive end, and tackle. They have to worry about all four of those yes. within the next, you know, one to three years. Yes. And they don't have enough draft picks to 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 do that unless they go hunt, you know, twelve for twelve. Yeah, and the other thing that's, you know, you have to keep in mind is like Lombardi was saying the other day is that Mike uh, Lombardi, former, Mike Lombardi, former Eagles executive. Um, well, you're talking about the ghost of autogram. I wasn't sure if you were like. Uh, <laughs> no, Vince. No, I'm not talking about Vince. You and um, you and Mother Cleo, or yeah. Um, but one of the things that you know, he mentioned that the Hillary draft picks, wasn't that a big Hill, didn't Hillary talk to the dad wasn't that a thing at one point was it I think I, I don't know I know no. Nancy Reagan was into astrology um, that you know draft picks can be overrated in the from the standpoint of that you know the Patriots use them as chips they basically use them as um, you know means to facilitate getting good players in here you know the 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 um, the move that they're going to make. Uh, the trade that that has been reported, I guess. What was the, what were the details of that? The, the deal with the Saints. Well, so the deal was the last I had read. They, mm-hmm. So they'd signed Stephon Gilmore, who, if you're not familiar, was a is a very talented cornerback um, who had one of his best seasons right. under Jim Schwartz in 2014. Um, allegedly had a bit of a down year last year, although I ha- I didn't watch a ton of Bills mm-hmm. games, so I can't speak to that. Um, and th- so they bring in Stefan Gilmore, and then all of a sudden, the report is that they're going to trade Malcolm uh, Butler, Butler, th- who is their very fine cornerback, yes. um, to the Saints in exchange for Brandon Cooks, right? Which could then free them up to resign Logan Ryan, right? Who is their other fine cornerback? Who is a? It, it, that's the way you have to play yes. the NFL to me. Like, like look at look at the guys that they've rotated into that scheme just a cornerback over the last three or four years. You know, you, you went from, you know, Tlaib, Revis, Browner, uh, uh, finally Mitchell and mm-hmm. and uh, Ryan, and now Stephon Gilmore. Yeah. Like, that to me is Bill Belichick, and then Eric Rowe. Mm-hmm. You have, that's Bill Belichick saying, you know, it's scheme almost. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. More than the player. More than like, oh, we signed this guy. Now we're set there. Right. It's we we're set with our scheme. We know what we want to play. Right. Let's just go find guys. It's like goodbye Martellus Bennett. You know, trade for Dwayne Allen. Right. You know, we can goodbye yeah. Aaron Hernandez, Gronkowski. You know, yada yeah. yada yada. Yeah, and just keep rotating rotating them through. Um, you know, and and it's interesting because you can make an argument, of course, that their entire dynasty is predicated on the bolt of lightning they got hit with in the 2000 draft in the sixth round. But uh, I don't think. But I, you know, you could argue that. You know, it's going to be a great debate. Tom Brady's great, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm not sure that he would have been great anywhere else. Elsewhere, you know. First of all, he will he, he wouldn't have been on the stage to be great elsewhere. Mm. Second of all, he wasn't great until 
the Patriots had already won two Super Bowls. He was more of a game manager um, in his first four or five years. He didn't. It wasn't until 2004 that he really became great, and he's gotten a lot better. And yes, they got struck, hit by a bolt of lightning. But all that could still be said by uh, for the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Sure. And they've only been to one Super Bowl since Aaron Rodgers have been there. And yeah. I would argue Aaron Rodgers is more talented than Tom Brady. Yeah. Long story short, I think Bill Belichick has a lot to. Yeah. Oh, he does. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially that, that defense. Yeah, that that debate always gets. I mean, it's the the nature of sports discussion nowadays. That the, that debate always gets framed in you know the binary way of like, is it Brady or is it Belichick? Like, it can't be that they came together at a good time and they both have gotten better since they've been with each other. Um, but whatever. And that, I, mean, I think that's you know, we like were, the question with Howie to me isn't necessarily. It, it's kind of the irony of him bringing in Joe Douglas. The, the, in, in bringing in Joe Douglas and leaving Howie there, they essentially said, we think we like Howie as a big picture thinker and as a roster putter together, but we don't necessarily like him as a scout. Well, here's what's interesting. Um, but I think, you know, the reverse, take take the scouting out of it. I'm not going to say reverse because I'm not going to say he's a good scout, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure how he does know how to build, build a good football. I mean, look at 2012. Well, here's here's the interesting question, and, and I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this. Look at what's happening in Washington um, with Scott. Pronounce his last name for me. I, I have no I the, the GM, Scott, I think it's— McLogan or something. Yeah, McLogan. And Bruce Allen, who is the Howie Roseman equivalent with the Redskins. He is to D- Daniel Snyder as Howie is to Jeffrey Lurie. This, by the way, is your argument against socialism. Because this does not happen in other sports where these owners take these activist roles, really. Um, What's that have to do with socialism? Because in the NFL, it's profit sharing, strict profit sharing, mm-hmm. and everybody gets the same slice of the pie. Mm-hmm. And there's really no profit incentive for an owner to be better than other owners. You know what I'm saying? So they can kind of come in there and play with their toy and know that the NFL. They're, they're going to make money anyway. Yeah. They're going to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas in baseball, it's like, you know, this is a business and we need to fill seats yeah. and win money. And so I'm going to let my baseball people do do the do baseball the things. Whereas in the NFL, you've got Jeffrey Lurie going to dinner with Carson Wentz. Yeah. And like in what other sports does any of that happen? That's true. All right. But getting back to my, my point. <laughs> what was your point? <laughs> anyway? My point was that if you've paid attention to what's happening in Washington with the Redskins now, All right. uh, um, the, the GM is basically getting forced out. And the GM had some personal issues, apparently was an alcoholic, but was well-regarded around the NFL as a scout. Did a heck of a job. Yeah, did a terrific job in San Francisco as a talent evaluator, did a very good job with the Redskins in the short time he was there. And he is now getting forced out. Um, He's persona non grata there now, apparently. And if you read, um, you know, people who cover the league very well, guys like Charles Robinson from Yahoo made this point, um, which is that this is what happens when you've got a setup where you have an owner who is heavily involved, as Snyder is, as Lurie is. You have his right-hand man being kind of more of a financial guy, such as Bruce Allen is with the Redskins, such as Howie Roseman is with the Eagles. And when that financial guy comes in conflict with the football mm-hmm. player personnel guy, you know, um, I, I want to find his name. See if you can find his name. It's... Um, I can't believe I'm blanking on the last name. Are you talking about the GM? Yeah. I just don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Um, McGrogan. McGlogan. Whatever. Scott. uh, Yeah. McLogan. Excuse me. Um, McLogan is. McLovin. Yeah. McLovin. (laughs) Chicka, chicka, chicka. Um, 
McLogan is the equivalent of what Joe Douglas is supposed to be for the Eagles. He, you know, Douglas is supposed to be the guy who comes in and cancels Howie and says, these are the five guys, you know, we, we need it. If you want to draft a, a defensive back or a cornerback, here are the five guys you got to look at. Okay. Mm-hmm. The point being that, and Robinson has pointed this out, and I think Andrew Brand has pointed this out, that if and when there's a conflict there, the financial guy wins. You know, Bruce Allen is winning that that conflict, so to speak, because mm-hmm. he's got Daniel Snyder's ear in a way that McLogan doesn't. Why, you know, why are we so certain that, that the same dynamic won't play out here? That even if what Joe Douglas happens to do turns out to be good, that it won't eventually blow up and it won't eventually, you won't eventually have Howie coming out kind of standing in the end. Well... Look, I think that, first of all, the way you just described Joe Douglas's job is what the Eagles have tacitly wanted to lead people to believe. Okay. But it's pretty clearly not Joe Douglas. Like, this is a top-down structure now with Howie mm-hmm. and I would say almost the triumvirate at okay. the top with Peterson. Um, um Peterson, Lurie, and Roseman. And Roseman. And Joe Douglas, to me, I mean, Joe Douglas is only a director. Okay, so my, um, that's, but that's my point. Right, but Scott, but McLogan was a general manager. He's been the general manager before. He was a vice president of player personnel for the Niners. Mm-hmm. I think the Eagles spun Joe Douglas's hiring as this is the personnel, you know, separation of powers, this is the personnel guy, how he's the, but no, this is, this is how he's saying, you know, get the reports on every college player on my desk by 5 mm-hmm. p.m., and I'll take it from there. But that's my point, is that, that that even makes it more easily if things go bad or if things don't work out the way... Mm-hmm. But I think the, everybody the conflict would them. be more between Peterson and Roseman. Like, I, I think that... Like, Joe, I don't know. Does Joe Douglas strike you as... Joe Douglas is a scout more than... Or is McGlo- he's not an executive, necessarily. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, I mean, I, I, it, see, it seems from the outside looking in that they're gonna, he's going to serve the same function as McGlogue. I mean... No. I, see, think I think so? that's what the Eagles want people to think. Okay. They, the, you know, but that see that to me just makes it look that much easier to kick him to the curb if things don't work out. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my point is that whatever hope you have in Joe Douglas as being the guy who's going to set Howie on the straight and narrow. But that's why I'm saying that I think that like Howie's still the one in charge of putting yes. the guys on the roster. Yes. McGl- that's, but that's my point is that that's the, the whatever hope you have in the Eagles mm-hmm. that by having Joe Douglas involved, however he's involved that they're going to get this right or get it closer to being right, to me is misplaced. Right. Because what's end- eventually is going to happen is push is going to come to shove, and like what happened with Chip Kelly after a year is that Howie's going to win. Yeah. Howie's going to end up the one but I the last man stand. But I think there's not even going to be a battle. Like okay. I think this is um, – like that was my point. That was what I was trying to say is I think that – like Joe Douglas is the guy who is supposed to perfect their scouting, to know right. what to look for, to know mm-hmm. what grades to put on people – to have to give, give Howie and the decision ma- mm-hmm. put it this way he's not a decision maker Joe right. Douglas is not a decision maker right um, Howie's the decision maker and I'm not sure that he's any better at making decisions than he is at scouting players do you know what I'm saying yeah like, this is my point that has always been the the rap on Howie's always been like oh he's a great cap guy and a great decision maker but he, he wanted to be a scout and wanted to be a yes. personnel guy and he just wasn't well what what evidence do we have that he's actually 
a good architect and decision maker. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I agree. I agree. My only point is that if if you are looking at the Eagles situation and saying Joe Douglas is going to make a difference, and I would I would agree with you that the Eagles have led people to believe that Joe Douglas's presence will make a difference. I would be skeptical of that, and you have to look at Washington. You only have to look at Washington to see what happens in situations. Right, but like again, this. I think he will make a difference in terms of like I don't think they were particularly good at scouting before either, and at least mm-hmm. Joe Douglas knows what a good like. I think Joe Douglas is going to be the person that assembles the scouting staff and like you know i mean it's a big apparatus you know mm-hmm. getting coverage on all thousand thousands of however many thousands of college football right. players and you know pro scouts at every game and mm-hmm. knowing what to look for what we are looking for evaluating traits all that stuff um but at the end of the day his job ends when each of those players has a number next to his name you know it's then howie's job to look at that yeah when they're on the clock at number 14 and say We've got a wide receiver. You know, we've got Mike Williams with the same grade as, you mm-hmm. know, cornerback X with the same grade as, you know, offensive line X. It, and more so for the later rounds. I mean, when you look at the Steelers and the Packers and the Patriots, mm-hmm. the Packers and the Steelers more so. I mean, they're they're machines in mm-hmm. terms of their development. Yes. And it, it's funny. I remember asking Mike Tomlin on the conference call last year, you know, what enables them to keep on Churning doing guys. that, yeah. churning guys, you know, getting Antonio Brown in the sixth round to follow Emmanuel Sanders to follow, right. you know, Plexico Burris mm-hmm. and Santonio Holmes. And he said, you know, good scouting, we, you know, good organization. But then he also said, like, we also have some of he was like, we have some organizational secret sauce that we throw in yeah. there that I'm not going to like, you know, and that's like we know what kind of guy to me. What they do is they know what kind of guys they're looking for and they know how to develop those guys. Right. And when you know what you're looking for. It's a lot easier to find it than just saying, oh, this guy might be a good wide receiver under mm-hmm. Coach X. Right. You know, you know, none of it is in a vacuum. This is all like who's going to be a good Steelers football player, mm-hmm. you know, given the schemes that we're always going to have right. in place. Right. And I'm not sure how he's that is always going to be Howie's job. You know, Joe Douglas is, is not going to be the guy saying, um, you know, he's not going to be making those you know, mm-hmm. doing those co- differential equations that try to solve you know is it better to take an off this offensive lineman here in the fourth round versus you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like how, how many years is dylan gordon away you know who can we project a, a, at center two years from now you know what's the proper amount of money to right. spend on x position you know how, how many how much of our resources should we invest in cornerback versus receiver versus you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i get it should I we mean, give Vinny curry a contract extension yeah you're basically i mean you're, you're Forecasting saying yeah, markets all that kind of stuff yeah uh, he's not going to have the power that a gm would have i get that yeah yeah you know, so but the question then becomes: He's like the he's the he's the he's the uh, commander of the Ford operating base. He's not determining, you know, right. big picture foreign policy. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And which you know, probably goes a long way to explaining why the Eagles are in the situation they're in and why the Redskins are, you know, again seem to be falling apart. Yeah, the and defensive end thing is fascinating because it's going to be a huge hole that and defensive tackle. Yeah, I mean, maybe this enables them to re-sign Benny Logan. I guess. Maybe. But in the end, you're just going to end up bringing the same team back from last year with the addition of whatever whoever they draft and Torrey Smith. Yeah, although there are reports as I look at Twitter now. That and I'm trying to log it. I spent 10 minutes trying to log in Alshon Jeffrey leaning toward the Eagles. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's yes. Leaning toward the Eagles. That I, makes you happy, I know. I'll be very interested to see his, his um, price tag. Yeah, I would too. It just such, seems such a silly move for a team where they're at 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, and why I, can't I log into Twitter? <laughs> um, what have know, you what, thought about the, the reporting the past few days? Been, I, I, we were talking about this before we came on the show. I mean, that's this, a good segue that we're yeah. reading these reports. I mean, Kenny Britt at one time was leaning towards the Eagles. Yeah. And it turns it, out he... <laughs> You said something, and I completely agree with it, which is a rare thing, um, which is that th- these kinds of days— the, the, the I days, see what you did there, by the way. Yeah. Um, the, the days leading into, like, free agency um, from a sports standpoint is are, are why people are skeptical of the media and why people uh, don't like the media to a certain extent. It's this kind of weird dynamic where— People kind of crave that uh, the expert, the, the person who's in the know and presents him or herself as somebody who really knows what's going on. But by the same token, with social media and the rush to be first now, there's so much out there that's wrong that people are often rightfully skeptical and in some ways angry about uh, what gets reported incorrectly. And, and you see that consistently, uh, you know, in, in sports, for instance, in periods like this, you know, at a trade deadline or the NFL free agency period or the winter meetings in baseball, you know, where there are so many competing agendas. There's so many agents and general managers and executives and people who are trying to get information out there to change a market for a guy or to drum up interest or to, um, you know, to mislead. And so many of us in the media are willing accomplices in that. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of, de- I don't know if depressing is it the is. right word, but, you know, you have to you have to be able to kind of take a step back and just say, you know, and take everything with a grain of salt. Take it all with a grain of salt because, you know, somewhere along the way. But if you can't, but as soon as you have to take... Like, as soon as you're, like, unsure of reality, it's like there is no reality. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, somewhere along the way, being a member of the media became less about reporting what has happened than what is going to happen. And that's inherently fraught with peril and potential for error and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I'm sure you get the same thing. Like, people ask you all the time, ask us all the time, like, what do you think the Eagles are going to do? Like, and the Eagles don't brief us on what they're going to do. You know, you talk to people around whatever league you happen to be covering at a particular time, and you try to make logical sense of what you know to be true. Um, and then you you take your best guess, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And, you know, and that applies not just to that, it applies to projecting whether a college player in basketball or football is going to be a terrific pro player based on how often we've seen them or whether we break down film or all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, people miss on this stuff all the time. And yet that's what consumers of news crave, and that's what we seem to think we can deliver all the time. And we're wrong a lot, and it's frustrating. Yeah, it's interesting. So so this Alshon Jeffrey thing, mm-hmm. this, it's going to be interesting to watch play out because it seems like at this point, the only person, this, all of these reports are coming from uh, ESPN sideline reporter Josina Anderson, mm-hmm. who said her, the exact wording of her tweet is, I'm told, quote, I'm told as of now, wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey is leaning towards choosing the Eagles when free agency starts. And it's like, 
that is a tweet or piece of reporting made like that screams I am an agent who told Josina this so that whichever other team is looking at signing Alshon Jeffrey better up its offer and like that we saw this unfold time and time again with uh, you know Kenny Stills at one point was you know Bound for the Eagles. $12 million was supposed to be his. Like, that was the most ludicrous thing yeah. in, in the world, you know, the, the Kenny Stills phenomenon of this offseason. Yes. Um, like, guess what? Kenny Stills ended up getting what Kenny Stills would have been lucky to get, not yeah. $12 million a year from all these interested suitors. Right. Um, but so I guess what I'm saying is, like, while it's not the media as a whole, like, like it's almost like Twitter's gotten to a point where, one person, Josina Anderson, who does not have like a long track record of breaking no. this kind of stuff. And in fact, clearly, you can guess, has been told either by the player himself or by the agent something vague yes. that serves a purpose. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And but then it just gets picked up by everybody else. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, we had Alshon Jeffrey. Like the Kenny Britt thing. Wasn't that only one person? Yes. That, you know? Yes. But you just... Everyone gets their news through osmosis now, so it's mm-hmm. almost like, well, everybody was wrong. So right. I can't trust anything I hear anymore. Right. Well, there's we, again, we were talking about this before the show. There's there's a really good uh, piece that came out a year or two ago, I think, about Adam Schefter, about ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter. It was written by Rick Mace at the Washington Post. I think it was Rick Mace. And it basically, it's a profile of Schefter and how he does his good job. good rapper. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... To read the article is to realize that Adam Schefter stopped really being a reporter or a journalist in any meaningful sense a long time ago. What he really is is a facilitator. He is a guy who, for him, information, like for all of us, information is his, you know, commodity. It's his coin of the realm. But he acts more as like a go-between for various executives and, you know, let's say the general manager between team X and team Y or the agent for player A and team B. Um, he's trading that information and sometimes he's able to like reach in and pluck some of it and put it out there and it routinely almost serves somebody's interest. You know, I mean, it doesn't always, but most of the time that's what happens. And it's, it's important to kind of remember that when you're consuming all this information. You know, people think of him as just this, you know, him or Chris Mortensen or Jay Glazer is like these, um, you know, hardworking, diligent reporters who are sitting there in front of their computer terminals and working the phones. Like and, meeting Deep Throat in the yeah, parking garage. Yeah, that's not what's happening. Like, right. you know, these agents and executives are calling these guys to get this information out there so it can help them right. in some way. It's like 95% of what you read comes from one of two sources. I would say maybe even 99%. It's either gen- straight from the general manager, mm-hmm. whoever, whoever the number one decision maker is. Right. Or it's straight from the agent. Yes. And that's it. Yeah. Therefore, everything that you read is inherently positioned there for a purpose, Mm -hmm. unless what you're reading is telling you definitively that something has already happened. Exactly. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And and it's interesting to see how that... Like, only one person could tell you which way Alshon Jeffrey is leaning. That would be Alshon Jeffrey or somebody he has told. Right. And the only person he would have told is his agent because these agents tell those guys, don't talk to anybody except mm-hmm. for myself and I, let me you know, let me work my magic. And right. the GMs say the same thing you know, to their underlings and mm-hmm. everyone's scared to death of getting fired so no one is talking to anybody anymore mm-hmm. and, and all you have is this like swirl of rumors followed by, you know, somebody breaking something one minute before the press release goes out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They really should, every sport should have a list in, in a way like... 
They every, keep score. Yeah, every, every sport sends out at the beginning of um, each season what's called the black book, which is like the master book of contacts for everybody in the league and for all the media relations departments of all the franchises. And what they ought to do is they ought to have a special section in each of those books for those media mem- national media members who kind of fill this role. Like in the NFL, it would be Schefter, Glazer, Peter King, Mortensen. For Major League Baseball, it would be Kenny Rosenthal, John Heyman, Jason Stark to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hockey has its guys. The NBA has Woj. But even Woj is a little different because he'll write like scathing columns about players or coaches or execs. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like Rosenthal, and, and I have the utmost respect for Kenny, but you know, guys like Schefter, they don't really do that. They're just the repository of, hey, this is going to happen, or I've heard this. And like I said, just kind of plucking flotsam out of the air and, and putting it out. And there. like in their, in their uh, you know, from those guys' respects, I would say most of the time, put it this way, they've built enough, they've built up enough cachet mm-hmm. that a guy is not going to lie to them necessarily. Right. right. But as you as you work further away from from the rights holders, mm-hmm. you know, ESPN and Fox, um, and the more you drift towards the agent side of things, at that point, you know, I'm not going to name names, but like there's guys, there's there there have been guys during this legal tampering, guys, I mean, national reporters in this legal tampering mm-hmm. thing that clearly, you know, have been pushing a narrative fed to them by an agent. Yes. You know, to create a market that, in hindsight, I'm thinking of Kenny Still specifically, mm-hmm. never existed to begin with. Right. And at that point, like, it's strict transactional where it's like, I know this is not the truth necessarily, but I don't really care because it can't be disproven. Exactly. Therefore, why not? Right. It enhances my, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it does. And and all that does is erode trust really right. i mean that's that's where we come to come back to like why this time of year is kind of depressing from a media standpoint it's because people want that information and often they don't c- think about or consider where that's coming from right. like is it coming from a right you know a reporter who works for a rights holding media organization you know is it coming from somebody with a track record of getting stories right um, you know, who is, whose agenda is it serving to have this information out there and therefore how credible is it um, when you examine it, you know? And, just, and, and it can be a challenge too because, you know, you want to write things, you know, or, or break, you want to break news or you want to write things that are interesting and accurate and it can be, and things change so quickly that it's, you know, it's difficult to, um, to keep up with that and sometimes. Like, look, the two of us, you know, we both sat down to write yesterday and on, two, on Wednesday... And Murph writes a column saying the Eagles should, you know, highest priority should be a free agent, a cornerback in free agency. And my column is if they're going to go after a wide receiver, go after Terrell Pryor first and foremost. And so far, you know, I'm, you know, our, I'm sure our Twitter timelines are filled with people. You, you guys are wrong. You know, they, they, they didn't go after a cornerback and they didn't go after yeah, your wide receiver. We're not writing that they should. Right. I'm writing that they should. I still think they should, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And all I'm writing is, yeah, they, they may not sign Pryor, but. You know, it would behoove them if they really thought about it, and if they did it, I'd be okay with it. Um, but that's what makes this, you know, an inexact science. And but I, I guess the reason why it frustrates me, it has always frustrated me, because I think a disregard for the truth is a disregard for the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can only have bad consequences for society as a whole. And I think there's a direct parallel now to the way the political sphere sure. has bifurcated. Yes. Uh, where people almost people seek out news that confirms their belief yes. rather than making it a top-down process of 
starting with the facts and then developing beliefs yeah. from there. They, they start with their conclusions and then seek out, um, you know, news items that will support those conclusions versus, you know, looking at the news items, deriving the facts and then deriving conclusions from there. Right. And, and the flip side of that, I would argue, is but that... But is, hang on, hang on for a second. So, like, I think a lot of what people want on Twitter is if they want Alshon Jeffrey, you know, they're predisposed to take the Alshon, Je- you know, Eagles, you right. know, interested in Kenny Stills. Well, all of a sudden you're going to gravitate towards that piece of news when in reality they've been linked to every wide receiver out there. Right. The flip side of that too is that those of us in the media, you know, we know that too. So that, and you know, to go back to your political example, if there's an opportunity to nail somebody on the other side, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we're a, you know, a, a Fox News personality um, and there's an opportunity to nail somebody who's anti-Trump or if you're a left-leaning journalist and there's an opportunity to nail Paul Ryan, we're predisposed to take that at face value, whatever it might be. Paul Ryan said X or Donald Trump said X and we don't bother to look and say, well, wait a minute, okay, they said this, what was the context? Did anybody else say anything similar before him? And did we react the same way? I think that's, that's an issue is the, the, the whole idea of a double standard. We get outraged when this side does it, but we don't get outraged when the other side does it. Um, and I think that's true, you know, I mean, it, it kind of extends to sports too, is do you take the whole picture? Do yeah, you just like look it's at- all good until your, your guy is the one smoking right. weed and right, gets suspended. Exactly. It's yeah. funny when, you know, uh, Ricky Williams does it. Right. But then when it's your guy, then weed laws are stupid in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. And that gets us back to kind of where we began, you know, to Connor Barwin, for instance, which is there does seem in sports to be this need to, this desire to have the athletes still be, um, to, to cling to that connection, for instance. I mean, Connor Barwin was here for four years. He was a nice player. Um Perfectly fine guy, as far as I could tell. Did some, you know, as Don Tollefson would say, did some great work in the community. But the <laughs> good re- guy, good guy. But the reaction to his release today, you know, like I said, you'd have thought a living saint had been told he could no longer play football in Philadelphia, and it's like, you know, where does that Brandon come Cooks? from? Are you about? Yeah, <laughs> where does that come from? Like, is it just that desire to? Um, to connect with athletes at a certain level and believe that they're all good human beings? Is it that social media is so overwhelming now that everybody feels the need to weigh in and say, Connor Barwin was a great guy, and therefore it then becomes a thousand people on your Twitter timeline and your Facebook feed saying, Connor Barwin was a good guy, and it becomes just too much? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what, what that is, but I mean, Connor Barwin was a nice football player and seemed to be a decent guy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think Connor Barwin. I think he's a bit of a special case just because of how much. Um, I don't know. I I need to sit down and think about it. But but I mean, the guy did get the Philadelphia skyline tattooed on his. Uh, yeah. You know. So I. I so think he's, he's so he I stroked think like, us in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like to be. Stroked, oh yeah, exactly. You know. But but he does represent kind of like what you secret. Everyone secretly wishes sports yes. still could be where it's like oh like it would be nice to be able to you know, root for a guy who's part of your community. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Rather than It'd a be bunch nice of mercenaries. To, right. But like root that's for it. the guy to sack the quarterback and then you see him riding his bike in exactly. Old City, you know. But then on the flip side, you want a Super Bowl more than anything. Right. And if Connor Barwin isn't the best guy to get you that, 
Yeah, we've made, we've made our choice. Yeah, yeah. We, we've made our choice essentially. Exactly. Uh, exactly. But yeah, I I uh, I am looking forward to the uh, the confirmation of Connor Barwin's miracle whenever it yeah. comes. He laid ten years hands from now. on me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but the the reporting thing really bothers me. It bothers me too because I think because look at so, so Tori Smith is a good example. Sorry to cut you off. That's okay. I'm I'm going to start apologizing every time I cut you off instead of just the entire show will be I know. you apologizing. But it'll, it'll like reinforce that I bad date. Mm-hmm. Um, Tori Smith, for for a brief example, and why this is not necessarily harmless in my opinion. This kind of like allowing speculation to masquerade as reality Mm -hmm. like even now there were rumors last year that the eagles were um so when tory smith got cut from the 49ers the the first thing was oh um last year at this time or last year during the season the eagles tried to trade for him right what i mean did they or are we just is that the narrative is that the reality that exists now that all those rumors you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. i think about chip kelly when when you know um the same thing kind of happened when there was all that smoke about him going back to USC right. and stuff like that. Where like clearly in, in hindsight, that does not appear to ever have been grounded in reality. But unless somebody disputes something that's out there mm-hmm. about them, it almost becomes reality yes. for the next narrative to be built upon. So now the narrative is like, oh well, the Eagles almost tried to trade for Torrey Smith. You know, now they got their guy. Yeah. When in reality, none of us really knows if they actually did try to trade for Torrey Smith last year. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Yeah, they, sure. they allegedly tried to trade for a lot of other people, and um, I think even at one point someone reported that the Torrey Smith stuff was way overblown. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, getting a handle on what is real and what is not is so difficult nowadays. It is. It's 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 hard in sports. It's hard in. Uh, you know, covering politics or the world or anything like that. It's, it's just difficult. I mean, it's one of those, you don't ever want, like, you, you, you certainly don't want to go to, like, an official, you know, licensed news organization or something no. like that. But, but you s- can also see why yeah. <laughs> nations have, have right, tried exactly. to go that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to you a certain extent. You understand totalitarianism can't. a lot better when you're exposed to populist anarchy. Yeah, yeah, in some regards it's true. Um, you know, and, you know, for what it's worth, I feel like that's something that, Legacy media organizations like ours, you know, Philly.com, The Daily News, The Inquirer, um, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, ought to be doubling down on. They ought to be doubling down on fact-checking and fairness and accuracy. And, okay, we're making a big deal out of this right now. Has anything ever happened or has anybody said or done anything comparable to it? And how did we treat that? Mm-hmm. You know, be, that that to me is one of the bigger issues that that – consumers of news pick up on and remember you know that you're making a big deal about this now but this same thing happened last year or the year before and you didn't make a big deal out of it then so it's so, so like to support that point and again i think this all traces back to politics so like i just don't read political twitter anymore mm-hmm. um ever since trump's victory not necessarily because of trump although i i do not like the man and mm-hmm. don't trust him as far as i can whatever um but the liberal hysteria over every little thing that he does has just like gotten to a point where and and you've talked about this before kind of the the boy uh, who cried wolf boy who cried wolf finale frankly trump is doing that to himself too like yeah i I can't imagine the first time he you know 
like what, how can he talk to um, Iran or Russia or Cu- you know Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, and make his point when he's already talked to Sweden and Australia? <laughs> yeah, you know, in that tone of voice, essentially. I right. mean, wh- how does he let it, how does he let somebody know he's right. serious now? Right. Um, but to get back on track, you know, I go to the Wall Street Journal for everything now because mm-hmm. I know. Like, that's been the one good thing about this election, in my opinion. It's, like, turned the Wall Street Journal into the voice, you know, mm-hmm. more of a voice of, re- you know, it is it is more beyond reproach Yes. now. Like, yes. they're, you know, they're, you know, same thing with Bill Crystal, where it's it's almost like it's forced the opposition a little to the... You can tell a little more who's ha- who has some integrity. Right. right? So, I, But anyway, I go to the Wall Street Journal because I know there's not, you know, they're going to put it in the right context. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas, like... Like the whole, uh, there's just like these little like Twitter things. Like the, I don't even know how it ended up playing out, but the gold star father who like, yeah. you know, there was like a report out that like he canceled a speech in Canada because he has traveled privileges. Right. We're, we're like, and again, maybe that was true, but anybody who reads that is like, wait a minute. Like there was, there's not even anybody in a position to evaluate people's travel privileges. Right. You either right. have a passport or you don't, you right. know? Well, the, the latest one has been this Ben Carson thing about, um, calling slaves immigrants, right. okay, that, that he's taking a lot of, there was a discussion on CNN the other night about this, and people are mocking Ben Carson. Okay, well, if you go back and read actual texts of Barack Obama's speeches, he has referred, mm-hmm. in, in, from a, you know, in the contextual standpoint, exactly. very similar, has said very similar things. And I think that's, regardless of what you think about the actual content of what Obama and Carson may have said, the disconnect comes in when you treat one as just a run-of-the-mill statement by a politician and the other as something beyond the pale mm. because that sort of double standard, and this is, has nothing to do with whether you think Ben Carson's a good HUD secretary or whether you think Barack Obama is a good president. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way the, that we in the media present things. And if we're going to be shrill about X, then we've got to be shrill. We should be shrill about X all yeah. the time. See, I don't necessarily buy that. I buy you shouldn't be shrill at all. Okay, well that's fair. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. I don't think the if answer you're gonna is because that pay just a lot, like yeah. leads to a feedback loop where like everyone's yelling at the top of their lungs. It, all right, it's shrill, more, shrill might be the wrong word, but if no, you're what gonna, I'm saying is like you if should, you're gonna you tell, say, let me just finish this. If you're gonna if you're gonna tell me this is really important mm-hmm. that somebody said something someone says or does, if you're gonna tell me this is really important and really newsworthy, then you better be sure that it is really unprecedented yeah. or that you regarded it with the same importance when I agree. Th- somebody else did it whose politics were different or, you know, circumstances, were, whatever the case may be. I agree. I just, it, like, it's, I don't know, it's kind of a subtle distinction to me, but, like, the whole, like, oh, well, you know, he did it too. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't like that way of looking at it. It's more like, well, he did it too, so why are you, is everybody upset about this guy? Right. You know what I'm saying? That, yeah, that's, it's not like you should have been upset about that no, guy. Right, it's right. A, no, I, I get that totally. That's And that's my point is that tone matters. Right. And the idea that, you know, get, getting it back to, to kind of politics and then taking it to sports in a way, like, you know, if you're going to freak out over every single little thing, and we do this in sports all the time. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're freaking out over NFL free agency. We freak out over um, – you know, this injury to this player or this trade or this loss or this win, then you lose any measure of perspective. Yeah. Well, and it's all. like, it goes straight down to like your evaluation of players where like, you know, whereas if Nelson Aguilar does something, it's interpreted a lot differently than if Carson Wentz does right. something. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Exactly. Because 
you know, again, everyone kind of is building the case for what they want to believe. Yeah. You know, they, they're looking for their own reality. Right. And it's actually a fascinating thing to read about the way the, the mind works. And like, mm-hmm. I'm in the process of reading uh, Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow. He's a, uh, uh, behavioral economic mm-hmm. eco- e- economist. economist. I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, <laughs> but it's just interesting that like the brain, you know, the human brain is constantly building its own reality. Yeah. And, and, uh, you yeah, know, and it's if you read about if you read about the error the the margin of error for eyewitness testimony in court cases, for example, right? You know, it's like fascinating how wrong people can be when they think that they're right. Exactly. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're not lying. No, they just think they're right, and and you see that nowadays with everything. You can you can cocoon yourself through social media exactly into and that's dangerous. It is into this idea of like, well, this is the world I inhabit, and I can now connect to dozens or hundreds of thousands of other people who inhabit this same world. And I don't have to allow anything that might upset me or contradict what I are, what I'm inclined to think, enter that world. But it's almost even more, pa- almost the more nefarious thing is the the more passive effect, and that's just that like, you know, my reality is whatever I choose to follow on Twitter. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So all of a sudden, your reality can become, uh, you know, and this gets back to like ba- the basics of of communication theory. You know, your reality becomes almost like your reality becomes composed of the outliers to reality because the outliers mm-hmm. are what were reported in the news. Right. And if, you know, so for example, like the whole thing about like, you know, if you talk to Trump supporters, they think the world is falling apart. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you, um, you know, if you look at the polls of like, you know, how safe is America, mm-hmm. you know, what's, you know, how, how rampant is crime, you, they drastically, right. you know, overestimate mm-hmm. how effed up the world is right, right now. You know right. what I'm saying? And that's, you know, I do. Everyone does because mm-hmm. th- it's just kind of inherent in the news. You're, you're you know, right. The only re- way something is news is if it's mm-hmm. an aberration. Yeah. Um, but then the world becomes an aberration the more news you're surrounded with. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Sure. But and the, and the flip side of that works works the other way too. If you if you live in and around Washington D.C., right. yeah. you think everything is wonderful because. Or you, if you live in Queen Village, it's a lot different from living in Northeast Philly. Exactly. Exactly. So, we should probably. Uh, wrap this up because you know the eagles are about an hour and seven minutes away from signing everyone but i don't think we really said anything that could be um i well, think we're in I good shape a fairly timeless podcast. i think we're in good shape i, I think, think this okay. might go on the best of uh the best of album yeah right between uh hotel california and uh, desperado all right now they're gonna fire doug peterson and <laughs> sign uh jason pierre paul something like that all right see you next week later